Welcome to the Quaredev Midcast with your host Adam Matwatch. So we can jump into our guests, and uh, we have a noble guest today. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, he is my uh, one of the people I have met at last Eurostar capitalizing of the, on the network of uh, experts and uh, no doubts about it. Uh, Baron is an expert in his field. Uh, I really liked his workshop about risk storming, which I um, participated on the last Eurostar. That's how um, uh, I know that he is good at things, what he is doing. Um, Baron, uh, as he wrote about himself, wears many hats, uh, product owner, quality coach, uh, employer, nomad, to name a few. Uh, and uh, the common thread in all of these endeavors is helping people figure out and focus on what is truly important. Uh, without further ado, I will give my voice and give the floor to Baron, who wants to share with you uh, the topic of creating a quality strategy. Uh, after first conversation with Baron, I think it will be really interesting. Baron, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Um, also, Adam, thank you very much for calling me an expert. Um, often, I very often doubt that, uh, but it's good to hear someone say it. Uh, once in a while, you need that, right? Um, so yeah, um, I would love to talk to you about some stuff. Um, I have only one slide prepared, and that's just to get the main issues um, or the main talking points, let's say. Uh, so we have like a, a bit of a framework for discussion afterwards. Um, a bit of a disclaimer though, I am um, building a product that will help your um, software development lives um, a bit more, hopefully, uh, and I will show you how it works. Also, very briefly, I will show you the free version and stuff. So it's not a sales talk, I just really want to show you what I'm working on. Uh, but first I'm going to tell you why I'm working on it and why it's so important. Um, so we tested the screen sharing before, and I'm going to try and do that again. So I am hoping you can see the slide that I wanted to share you share with you. Yes, please, no naked pictures as on every uh, your talk. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> now I have to explain that, right? And um, I have to cut it out probably from the podcast, but go ahead. I will not show it <laughs> at all. Um, but yeah, some years ago, um, the testing community came together to create um, a bit of a, a calendar, like the, the Calendar Girls movies, um, to, sh to support a good cause, right? And um, I was the first person to send a picture in, and at the, at the beginning, and it was for my impression that um, it was going to be a semi-nude thing, but apparently afterwards, I was the only one sending in such a picture. Um, and yeah, it, it has haunted me a bit up until now, up, up, up until this day. Um, but I wear it with pride. It's, it's something that is me, that I carry with me, and that I will always be in the future as well. The funny part, Baron, is that actually I didn't know the full story. I only have seen the picture on your last <laughs> presentation. And uh, it was without so elaborate introduction. I was just always wondering why you have made picture like that only for the purpose of the presentation or something. And now I know the full story. 
Thank you for that. Let's jump in, get, get, get back to the, to the tracks. Okay, okay. So we jump right in. You don't want me to describe in, in color just exactly how to... Okay, 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 okay. So <laughs> going back, a quality strategy. Um, it's something that I've been using um, as a, when, I'm, when I'm consulting at other people's projects. Um, I often talk about a quality strategy. And I don't talk about test plans um, because several years ago when I started as a test consultant, um, it was always master test plans, test plans. And then uh, the test plan is how the current project is a bit different from the master project. So we have to somehow build that into the planning things. Um, and I think that this, um, this term is really not useful at all. Um, and then speaking of, use, um, of useless terms, I think quality is also not that great of a term. Um, up until it is defined by people, it is absolutely useful, uh, useless, sorry. Um, so one of the things that I really want to, want, to, um, want to highlight here is that a lot of people want quality but they cannot define quality. If I ask them, what for your product, what is quality? It's such an open-ended question, such, uh, that, such open questions that there is no answer really, not, a, not an all-encompassing answer that will cover everything. They can say, oh, um, quality for us is uh, no bugs, which is also something that's not helpful at all. Um, what people can do is they can define what quality isn't or when quality is, um, is directly impacted. When hackers get in and they steal all the data, then that's definitely something that's not very qualitative. Or when during Black Friday, everyone tries to buy some products and the, the whole service is overloaded and they can't sell anything, that's definitely a lack of quality. Um, so they can say what it isn't or when it isn't there, but they can't say what it is. Uh, and that's a big problem that we have. That's something that we really, really need to fix. Um, and I, when, I, when I talk about quality, I usually use um, Gerald Weinberg's um, definition, which is it is value to a person who matters. Actually, James Bach added the who matters to it. Um, but if quality is so subjective uh, that it, it is in direct relation with a person who matters, um, then we can define the quality for one person if we talk about it long enough and if we make enough trade-offs. Um, and if we do that for enough people and ideally for all the people that matter, then we have a much better idea on what quality is. So for me to get to a definition of quality or to a helpful version of quality, we need to really have a talk with all the people that matter or with as many people that matter and get really to the bottom of what quality is for them. And usually we define quality in ways where it isn't, when, when quality is absent and there's not enough quality, as we say. Um, so that is quality for me. Then if you look at strategy, um, for me, strategy is a bit different than, um, I'm gonna 
try and get this out of the way. For me, strategy is different from a plan because a plan is a set of instructions. It's you do A, then you do B, then you do C, all the way up to whatever letter we have. And then we have an, um, a successful project, let's say. But that's not really how software development works. We do not work with fixed plans. And I will try to um, show you a model. So this is my um, infinite board of horrible drawings. Uh, when I explain things to people, I try to draw as much as possible. Um, and I'll try to find a nice wide spot for us um, to explore exactly what I'm saying. Um, so there's this model, which is called Kinevin. I will not go too much into detail, um, but it looks a bit like this. So there's no straight lines as in normal continuous. Um, I will not go into details why exactly that is, um, but virtually it helps us figure out what our problems are or in which categories our problem situates and what a possible solution could be. So we have four different squadra, uh, quadrants. Um, one is the simple, the simple uh, quadrant. The other one is complicated. The other, then the third one is complex. And then the fourth one is chaotic. And there's actually a fifth one right in the middle which is called disorder, and that's where you do not know where you are. It can be simple, it can be complex, complicated, chaos. Uh, we have no clue. Um, virtually, it helps you figure out, okay, if we are in this, if the problem is simple, if we can define it as simple, then that means there's a set of instructions that we just follow and the problem is solved. You want to hang up uh, a picture on the wall, the wall is made out of wood. You have a nail, you have a hammer. It's pretty easy. It's pretty obvious you can do this. Then we have a complicated problem, which is more as in um, building a house, for example. We've done it in many different varieties. We have done it so often. Many people have done it. Of course, the problems are a bit different. There's different houses. There's houses built on hills. There's houses built um, in a forest on top of a, of a river sometimes. Um, we've done many of these things. It's complicated, but when you have experts, then you can solve it. So usually complicated problems are solved by experts. I'm sorry for my drawing. It's, it's just the way it is. Um, and without going too much further into this, um, our software development field operates, operates mainly in the complex problems. That means that sure, similar things have been done in the past or are being done right now, but we don't really know how exactly to solve this problem. We may have some ideas, we may have some heuristics to apply to figure it out, but throwing enough experts at it is not necessarily going to help. We need a lot of people working together, talking together, communicating, 
um, really going into, into the problem, testing things out, figuring out what a possible solution might be, and then come up with a solution, the best solution within that context. So how we deal with complex problems is the solutions are emerging. And why am I explaining this so far? Um, because I feel that this, the complicated field and the simple field, this is where you talk about plans. The plan is a set of instructions that make sure that you can follow and then you come to a solution. The complex field, and I'm not going to go into the chaos one because I'm also not an expert in Kinevin that far, um, but in the complex field, that's where you need strategies because anything might happen. There's a lot of different unknown parameters and unknown um, threats that might really um, solve more or create more problems. And that's where you need a strategy because a strategy is you look at all the parameters around you, also the unknown parameters as best as you can, and you try to formulate a strategy on how you are going to deal with all these things. So that's where a quality strategy comes out of. I hope that is an explanation for a quality strategy that is sufficient for you to understand what exactly or why I am so against talking about test plans in our field and I'm advocating for quality as a strategy. Um, Can I challenge that a little bit? Absolutely, that's why we're here. So um, when it goes to plans, I agree that you need a strategy, especially in um, complex fields, as you as you described. You you cannot just say we have built one house, so building second house is very 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 complicated. But we can do it because we have the knowledge, because it's almost exactly the same, right? In 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 software, it doesn't look um, exactly like that. So so it must emerge. I fully agree with that. That's the whole agile movement, which is. Um, uh, hyped uh, for few years for several years right now, uh, but I just wonder: don't you think that the plans are needed either way? You just need to adapt the plans, so you still need to plan the release, put some dates, put some uh, commitments, and so on. Just as the reality hits you in the face, <laughs> then you need to adjust your plans, right? You just need to update the plans, right? So it's still at the same time uh, emerging, right? Because it emerges, it changes, uh, but, uh, but uh, at the beginning, you're planning something, you're planning the release. When you want to sell a product on market, you need to have some commitment. Yeah. If you have uh, several products that have to talk with each other, you still need to commit internally between the teams what will be delivered and when and so on, right? I agree. I agree. Um, thank you for clearing that up. So I'm not against plans, of course. I mean, as a product owner, I, I make plans on a, on a daily basis. Um, but usually when I, when I read test plans or when I talk with people about test plans, it's usually about the overarching way of dealing with things and that's not a plan it's it should be a strategy it's something it's an overarching um vision of where we need to go you can make plans like and plans would be um instances or or um 
maybe that's a bit too difficult worded. Um, they are a thread, let's say, of that strategy. And if the if something changes, if any of these parameters changes, then you know about them. You've actually uh, talked about these in your strategy. If you've conversed about it, um, and your plans can change accordingly. Um, but you need to think about that overarching strategy first before you can create plans or plans that are good and that can hold up for change or against change. Okay, so uh, I would like to deep, dig deeper here. Uh, so on what level uh, do you set the strategy? Is it like a company level uh, or is it a project level or even maybe a team level should have a strategy? On which level you should base the, the strategy which you're uh, speaking right now about? I'm so the way I look at it is mostly on a product level. Um, so let me, hmm, and I'm wondering how if this is a good moment to move over to the next um, step in, in, in the presentation, let's say. But uh, let's explore it a bit deeper. So the way I look at it is I usually work with teams, but teams are working on products, um, and usually. There's many teams working on the same product. Um, and at that point, you really need to have an overarching um, conversation or an overarching way of, of, um, of working together and dealing with the bad stuff if they happen. Um, I'm not sure if on a company level, having a quality strategy is such a, a good idea. That's your uh, your company is something like Spotify or uh, any other big product um, where you can actually have, where you actually have just one product, then it might make sense. Um, but then it's tied to the product, right? Still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I, I get it. So in this case, if we're basing our strategy on the product level and on the product, there might be several teams working on, maybe there would be a place for a test plan on the team level right so just a, a level a level down right uh, so on the level on the top level you have quality strategy for the product and then you make test plans for the particular teams or particular parts of the of the product itself right that's that's how Mm, I deal with the test strategy in my company, right? We, we, we yeah. have a test strategy. Uh, maybe not the same as we, we didn't use uh, your your tools, but we, we have a test strategy in, in our company, but it's on the product level. And then below, we create a test plans um, connected with the test strategy that must be in line with the test strategy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and as your test strategy on your products, is that somehow aligned to the other people in your in your product um, team or, or product work? Uh, yes, yes. So firstly, the, the the strategy must be aligned with the plans that the whole company have for this product, right? That's that's the one thing. And below, of course, all plans uh, need to be aligned with the strategy we have for the um, for the product we develop, right? So, uh, well, we we we. Can you... Yeah. Can you somehow elaborate or are you allowed to talk about how you came to this test strategy and how it is aligned 
to other people in the in the company? Yes, I can. Uh, so uh, we are actually a medical device company. Uh, that means that all everything that we deliver um, needs to be uh, verified, validated, and so on to make sure that it's safe and so on. So there is like a set of values that are very important to us, like the user safety, like effectiveness of what we we create and so on, uh, security, right? So we will be sure that no user data will leak out of the product and so on. And that set us like a boundaries for our test strategy. That means that we use uh, requirements for the verification to ensure the, the, the effectiveness, right? So what we claim we, de- we deliver, we have some uh, hazard requirements. That means that requirements that ensure that the, the software is safe and it will not kill anybody. All right. Uh, so uh, we and all of that is described in the in the strategy. So it's it's basically described the set of values that we have and we have to follow because we um, develop a very specific kind of products in our company. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So that's that sounds like a conversation that I that I'm advocating for as well that you need to have this conversation with as many people as possible that are relevant stakeholders to your product. Um, so the way I the way I would do it, and I'm not saying that it's different from the way you're doing it, um, but I'll, I'll try to explore a bit further how I envision the tool to do this or, or risk storming to do this. Uh, one more thing. Uh, I would agree that it's uh, a kind of conversations, uh, but uh, one thing, the conversations are mainly uh, not with people, but with uh, with uh, regulations, right? So uh, the group of stakeholders we have, if of course at the end are people, but uh, because we talk with people, I don't talk with my computer. I, I'm, I hope I'm still uh, sane, right? But um, but uh, but uh, behind these people are some regulations uh, which we need to follow, like FDA regulations and so on and so on. So uh, we need to have these conversations, but they're mostly with like a set of rules or things that we need to follow. And of course, basically, that's how it emerged, right? We I speak with experts in these regulations, which give me guidance on the on my strategy. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, but that's that's one part of um, what quality means to you. So quality in this project would partly be we are not against or we are not um, infringing or are I'm lost for words um, any of the standards and regulations. So that's that's a part of your quality define define definition, I guess. Another thing would be people don't die when they are using our product. Yes, I'm I'm really interested because I have a feeling that we are right now going in direction of how to develop the strat- quality strategy for the product, and I'm really curious about it. Right now, I'm following a template which I have, which is also set by the regulations. But um, there, for sure, are uh, different ways of developing quality strategy, and I have a feeling that we we're going in some direction like that. Yep. So that's where we're going. Um, as I said, I'm going to show you my tool, uh, how we work together, and how we come up 
with a quality strategy. So the idea of the tool is um, we get in a very similar situation as we are right now. We're in a Zoom call, in a Hangouts call, in wherever virtual room that um, we use these days. And we have one moderator. That would be me. Um, now, ideally, I am sitting here. I'm showing my screen. And all of you are um, either stakeholders to the product um, or developers or operations people or analysts. Um, a general feeling for the whole thing is uh, you need to have a diverse crowd of people, people with different ideas, different knowledge, and different strengths. Um, and if you can get this kind of group together, um, it will be, and I, it is in my experience, that it is always successful, or maybe not always, always is such a, a difficult word. Um, so the way this works is we give people the overview of quite a few different quality aspects. So these, every blue card here is a quality aspect and there are in total 25. So when we sit together in this kind of, um, of discussion, we go through these cards um, and we select the six most important quality aspects. So for example, we would pick business value capability because we think that's important. Things need to make money. User friendliness, that's always, or that's very uh, usually an interesting one. Uh, in the case of Adam's, um, uh, your product, um, we probably want to have some security and permission so that we don't get hacked or we don't get, um, well, we are in line with the safety things. Um, let's stick with three for now. So we have a discussion. This is actually very important to me that we, with all the many different stakeholders and, and people involved in the product, have a discussion of what is actually important. So we select the things that are highly important to our product. Um, and it's a game of trade-offs, right? Uh, is business value capability more important than, um, for example, scalability or impartiality? Is this more important than user-friendliness? I wanted to uh, ask about it because if you have a, a group of stakeholders, and I assume that here we want to have a broad group of stakeholders, mm -hmm. probably there will be different aspects uh, important for different people, right? Mm, marketing have want to have one uh, the business guys want to have something another a different one the IT guys want to have something different one like scalability for example and so on and so on so how do you deal with that uh, during this 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 meeting to to facilitate and to pick the only six because I assume that you can have only six right yeah well you can cheat normally I think we, we can go over the six um, because I want to give people an indication, but I also want to give people freedom to do whatever they want. Um, but how do we deal with that? Um, well, I think of all the things that we do in this, in this workshop or with this tool, this is the most important thing. People talking about what's actually important and it becomes a bit of a fencing match where, oh no, uh, what if this happens? Or what if we can't scale? 
or we pick a technology that doesn't do what we want it to do. So um, at the end, we have to rework a lot. And there's there's a conversation happening and stakeholders are actually listening to each other because this is important stuff, right? These are the things that are at the core of software development. Um, if you make decisions on based for your concurrency or for scalability or stability, these are the things that you will carry for years. So it's better to clear them out from the beginning. What is most important? Um, and sometimes you get conflicts, of course. Um, but conflicts in this aspect are pretty good because you come, you usually come to a solution. So um, normally there's a timer here for 20 minutes and I give people 20 minutes to, to figure out this first phase. Um, and as a moderator, I, I try to really press them to say, okay, try to now get to five or to three or try to get one out or get one in. Um, but it's an interesting, very interesting uh, first thing to do. I once had a workshop at eBay where um, marketing and sales was part of it, of this workshop. And they were only here for this phase um, because they had to go to another meeting or something. Um, but they were quite amazed that uh, all the things that IT was working on and IT was amazed with all the things that marketing and sales were lying awake from of, um, in terms of the product. So they learned a lot from each other. Uh, and even if if they only do this phase of the workshop, it is so incredibly useful um, because it's in my experience that people really don't um, talk enough about these things. Okay, so the first phase is to gather the quality aspects of the vari variety of different stakeholders to spark the conversations about the product, right? What we value. What's next then, Bert? All right. This is you moderating me to go a bit faster. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Um, so the next thing is, again, I give people 20 minutes and they need to come up, they need to brainstorm about risks. That's where the name risk storming comes from. So very creative of us. Um, so they need to brainstorm about risks. What is the worst thing that could happen um, when it comes to business value capability? Um, let's keep it short for now. I usually have a bit of a template for people to think about risks and write risks down, but let's keep it short. So uh, the worst thing that could happen is that the product is an absolute flop and nobody wants to use them. Right. So we can come up with a couple of risks for this. And usually they're much better than a couple of random um, characters filled in. User friendliness, um, nobody wants to use it. We've already established this, uh, but it might be because um, all, the, well, design is absolutely horrific. Scares people. These are, are not very well thought out risks, but uh, you get the idea, right? Um, people, again, talk about, oh, what, what's the worst thing that could happen? Oh, um, we sell products, so Black Friday might be a thing um, where we get overrun. Or as previously mentioned for scalability, we choose a technology that doesn't scale. 
um, or can't keep up with the number of, uh, of requests that we get. Or for security, uh, hackers get in and, um, well, you're in healthcare, right? So um, what if they tinker with the uh, pacemakers and pacemaker alarms go off with no, um, no real cause for it? Okay, do you limit somehow the number of risks that you can assign to an aspect, right? Uh, I can imagine that if you have big enough uh, number of stakeholders, it might turn out that you have a lot, a lot, a lot of different risks here. Right? True. Um, so in, in the online version, the time limit is one way of, of limiting that. And me typing is another way of limiting that because I'm not the fastest type, I'm also not the slowest, but definitely not the fastest one. Um, in the so we also do this this workshop uh, offline around the table with post-it notes and actual cards, um, and then it can get there's a lot of risks then, um, but usually the time limit makes it a bit different. And what I also try to hammer on when before we start this phase is that people need to talk about their risks. You can't just write a risk down, put it on the table and be done with it. No, you have to introduce it to everyone, what the risk is and why it's important to you. And people need to agree that this risk is important enough to put on the table. Oh my God, talking with people. I didn't went to IT to talk with people, right? <laughs> I went to IT to escape from them. Okay. And that is why we need a quality strategy. <laughs> sure, sure, I'm joking. Let's move on, come on. Okay. Uh, so this is the, the risk storming phase, let's say it, uh, or, or let's call it. So we have already identified the stuff that's important to us. Then we identify the stuff that can threaten the quality aspects that are important. So this here, the outcome of this phase is why we are, um, if, if most of the people, I guess, are testers, um, people listening to this podcast or, or in this meeting, they are testers. This is why we are being paid, why we are being hired. We um, kind of are in this business to make sure or to uh, advocate at least uh, that these risks don't happen. Now, I understand that there's very little that we do to make sure those risks don't happen, except for informing other people that those risks are there and how they can help us um, protect the product from them. And that's where phase three is a very interesting one for me. Um, because there are more cards, many more cards, a whole lot of cards. There are green ones, which are techniques, the orange ones, which are patterns, then the pink ones, which are heuristics. And, um, Usually, so in the uh, non-free version, there is more about observability. So things that we can observe in production if something goes wrong. And there's also dealing with a change, which is more on the um, architecture level and the development level, where um, what can we do before we write even one letter of code to make sure these things don't happen? Or when they do, we're better equipped for them. Uh, so virtually... In the paper would, form, I also had feelings, right? Yes, yes. I've taken out the feelings 
because feelings have no place in a quality strategy at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. They can, they could. I have seen people use them, um, but I thought that, um, or I felt at least, that we already have so many cards there, and it's already very overwhelming. Um, now the feelings are interesting cards, but I don't feel they add enough uh, to the risk storming format to include them here. That may change. I don't know. Okay, so uh, just to sum up and to fully understand, first we have the aspects, then the ones that are the most important ones to the product. Then we figure out the risks. Again, the most important risks that might happen in the, in the organization, in the product uh, connected with the aspects. And then with these um, parts, we figure out how to mitigate the risks with different mm -hmm. techniques, patterns, and so on, or... Uh, what yeah. do we do? So we, so as a team, you then um, drag and drop, and of course you talk. That's the most important thing. You talk about these aspects and why they are relevant to the way, or, or why these um, these actions are important, and how they can help you make sure those risks don't happen. You can search for them. You can drag and drop. The important thing is that you talk about them. So again, you're in this meeting, you would be telling me which concepts you want to talk about and where you want to put them. So it's a conversation that happens. You are telling me what to do and other people might um, trigger you to defend that as well. Um, so you, Adam, you might say you want to do data analysis. Um, why the product is an absolute flop and someone else in this meeting might say oh no we already do this or we have uh, we can check the logs for that or we already um, do so much requirement analysis about this stuff we do not need to look at the data i'm just saying something right um, but it's these kind of conversations again that i'm looking for that i want people to to participate in so when we do this we have quite a few cards selected to the risks. So these are all activities, and sometimes we combine them, um, that will help us mitigate the risks or accept them or ignore the risks, because those are also valid strategies, right? Um, and this is all a lot of data and a lot of conversation to figure out how we as a team can help each other uh, to make sure those bad things that they don't happen so that we protect the stuff that's important. Um, generally, I ask people to put this into a one-page uh, template that I have prepared uh, to write down or to digest, let's say, uh, the whole conversation or the, the, the outcome of the conversation uh, so that they as a team commit to that one page of values and of activities that they want to do um, so that they can take that with them towards the future. Um, what we are working on as well uh, for us storming online is action points so that we have these streams. For example, in this case, we have business value capability as an important quality aspect. We have the product is an absolute flop and nobody wants to use it um, as a threat to our business value capability 
and we might do story mapping or log digging to figure out why exactly is our product a flop. Um, so this would be presented as a stream or as an action versus risk that is connected to a quality aspect. And then people can speak up and say, I personally, I, Beren, I'm going to talk to this kind of stakeholder to figure out with story mapping where exactly there is something wrong or something missing and find out how we can make the product better so that people do want to use it. Or uh, a developer in this meeting might speak up and say, okay, um, we might want to do some real user monitoring and figure out where exactly most of our users are abandoning our product. Is that just before the payment um, scenario or is that uh, right after logging in or can they log in at all? Um, so people within this meeting specifically can then say, I want to do this action with this as an outcome and um, I will have this de uh, deliverable and you can actually measure me or my performance against this. Um, people generally don't really like measurements and performance uh, reviews, let's say. But if you go into such a very atomic way of this is an action I want to take, and this is how you can hold me accountable for this action, um, then I think it definitely works. This is uh, what we also see in retrospectives where people say, this is a faulty thing um, and we want to do it better. Um, and I want to connect some kind of um, measurable against that to make sure it actually happens. Because if people care enough about um, identifying everything and saying that these things are important, then we should also measure and, and make sure that, it, that they don't happen again or that they do happen. Okay, I have a question. Uh, where would you put the output of that workshop? The output, so these, these things that um, we are seeing here, so the aspect, the risk, and then the techniques and so on, is this is already, uh, in your opinion, already quality strategy, or this is just an input for a quality strategy and the quality strategy should, should be something more, right? Something more tangible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is the rough lines, let's say. These are, this is, a framework for the conversations that are extremely important. And the framework is, um, is something that you definitely should keep and you can still look at, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is the shared understanding of people around you and um, the, the conversation that has been going on, the conversation that um, the shared knowledge that what is important what are the threats and what can we do together to make things um, better or at least not worse. Um, so this is an input. The quality strategy for me is um, anything that you use to, um, so that that one pager, let's say, if you can sum up all this, this data, this, this conversation data into a template or into, into one thing, that is easily readable, that is visible uh, and actionable, then I think you have a good quality strategy. 
Okay, and one more question from me, and I think then we can jump into the questions from the audience because they started to appear. Uh, <laughs> would that be fine with you, Baran? Sure. Okay, so one more question from me is, and uh, what about the lifespan of a quality strategy like that? So uh, when we create one using this uh, this framework uh, you, you developed, the, the risk storming, um, would you agree that after some time it should be revisited? Uh, because Absolutely. I can, I can, I, I can imagine that the aspects at the beginning are so fundamental that they more like most likely will not change, probably, right? But the risks and the techniques we, we use will change constantly, right? Like after even a quarter, maybe there might be some new risks that we spotted when we released the product to the market, we learned something on it, and then they should be revisited, right? Definitely. Um, so of course, it's it's all super context dependent and depending on, on your products and projects. Um, I wouldn't do this every sprint, not at all, not, yet, not every two sprints. Um, what I usually give people as an indication is between two to six months. Of course, people will be smarter or, or will have a better way of, of um, um, not guessing, but estimating when the when this kind of conversation is needed. Um, but I think between two and six months, like usually developing enough features or, or a product takes that long to come to a, um, a completely new level, let's say. Okay, thank you very much. So uh, I will jump into the sharing my screen in a moment. Just I think I need a little explanation of what I was showing here. To people that don't know, uh, Burn started the risk storming from the paper form, right? So it was a set of cards, which uh, thanks to my last Eurostar trip I have from Burn. Thank you for that and uh, which I used in my company for a little bit different purpose about which I can talk a bit later probably because now I would like to focus on the quality strategy. Um, and now, Baron, uh, as I understand, you are developing the online tool. We will share the link to that tool um, in the description of the, of the podcast, of course, so people can uh, try it out for free, right? Uh, right? Yeah, sure. So, so they can um, try it out. And now I will share the screen with the questions. Uh, share the screen. Here we go. Here we go. And uh, I think we can even go from the top, uh, from the one from you, Jorgen. Uh, thank you for that. Which part of the risk storming do you find the hardest for participants to grasp? There are a lot of terms that may be unfamiliar to participants. Jorgen, would you like to elaborate on your question? Uh, yeah, I can try. Uh, so <clears throat> we have a very similar testing process in our company, and I do some of the training for our uh, new employees where we go through this uh, brainstorming phase and trying to decide or to decide on our approach for for the risks we identify. And it's it's hard for people if they don't have a terminology about the quality aspects or test techniques uh, on what to or where to start. So, so when you do this risk storming, is there some parts where you feel you need to give a little bit extra intro to the participants to understand the, how to how to play this game or what what's the difficult part in getting getting people to play this? Yeah. 
That's a very good question. Um, I think the most interesting part is the first one where the quality aspects are discussed, but the most difficult or the, where you, uh, you can lose your participants, let's say, is in the third one where there's just so many cards and so many uh, uh, terms that are relevant to people, um, but they might not be known to people. Um, and as you said, it's very difficult sometimes um, if they are more junior or they've just started in the, in the project um, to go through the cards and then really feel like they're contributing much. Um, but they, they don't have to necessarily be um, limited to the cards. They can come up with their own ideas. Um, it's also a feature I'm working on is... is um, that people can make their own cards. Um, last week I was doing a workshop with uh, a gaming company and they identified solutions of, um, oh, let's do, let's do something like this for, um, for identity management and so on. And I just didn't have the cards for it. Um, so I have to create those. And ideally in the future, people can create them themselves. Um, so the cards are prompts of, what you could do, but it's not necessarily the only things in the world of software development that can help you mitigate risks. You can come up with your own things and however you word them. Um, another thing that I, I just think about it is that um, with the online version, it is possible to share all the cards already with people before joining the workshop. So they can, if they are more junior or they're not very comfortable with all those terms, they can study a bit um, and make sure that, they, that they're better prepared. Do you go by the cards with the people or do you leave it uh, just on a, as an open thing? So, for example, here are the cards. If you have questions, then ask them. Or do you go card by card with short descriptions what this card is about? Because I agree, there are a lot of them even here, even in the paper form, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be probably more time consuming. But at the same time, if you don't do that, just here are the cards, uh, there, there might lose some motivation. How do you deal with that? Um, so that's also part of my, my moderator uh, moderating is that I, I try to to get the conversation started, right? If I feel that in this third phase, people are, are a bit um, petrified and they can't um, verse their ideas into, into words, I try to give them prompts. And I would say, which should suggest like, oh, what about this card? I think it could connect to one of these risks because I've done that quite a, quite a few times already. Um, so I can, I can work quickly probably see how things connect and then giving them those prompts usually loosens up people as well um but yeah ideally they know the cards a bit they know the terms um and i'm also thinking of of maybe doing the third phase sometimes in a delayed capacity maybe i should expand on that um so with the, the online version, it's perfectly possible to do the workshop asynchronously, um, doing the first phase on Monday morning at 10. Um, people just choose their six most important quality aspects. Okay, you save your session. Um, 
tomorrow or the Tuesday afterwards, you do the risk uh, session, you come up with different risks for the quality aspects. On Wednesday, you give them all the cards via, via an, uh, an external link where they can just look at the cards, maybe even vote for the ones they find interesting. And then Thursday, you sit together again in a, in a virtual room and you go through the cards that have, have the most votes. Um, so you can do this completely asynchronously and that might give people time to get prepared, to really think, they, think things through. Um, but then those are things I need to experiment with. Okay. Uh, thank you for that, Baron. Uh, Jorgen, uh, do you have any follow-up or is it okay? No, I think it's, it's very nice. And I think also one of the things is to actually have the cards up front. So instead of having people start on a blank piece of paper, then they can at least get some cues for mm -hmm. things to think about. So I think that's uh, pretty powerful. Thank you, then, for the question, uh, Jorgen, and for the answer, of course, Baron. I mark this as answered. And uh, I think the second question also uh, goes pretty well into the order we have for today's meeting. So uh, the question from Alex, which is, how do you deal with unknown risk when assigning risk to quality aspects? And is your strategy dynamic to allow for new ideas either emerge or get uncovered? Alex, uh, would you like to elaborate on that question? Uh, yeah, so the idea is that you have known risk and unknown risk. And uh, unknown risk actually has uh, a second aspect, which is the unknown unknown risk is the one that uh, you, you don't even realize it's there, uh, something that you don't realize is in the field of your job. And the, the, the way to uncover unknown unknown risk or unknown risk in general is kind of to, to stumble in it, to uh, um, pay attention to what people are talking about around you, uh, to follow up on strange ideas. So sitting in a meeting and, and trying to assign risk to quality aspects, um, you might not have the full picture at that point. So how do you allow for new uncovered risk to fit into your quality strategy? Is it something that is dynamic or is this something that is set at the beginning of a project or is it it's a living document that lives with the, uh, with the product? That's, that's very good. Um, so there's always a risk of not knowing about the, all the risks that are there, right? Um, there are, by definition, there will always be risks that we do not know about. That's why we have a job as testers often, or why we have testers, is to uncover the unknown unknowns. Um, and that's an issue that is very difficult to deal with. And personally, I think doing this workshop and getting as many points of view together, as many, and, and actually deciding what's important to those people, to these many diverse people, uh, mitigates the risk of having unknown risks. Um, but that does not take away that, of course, there will always be more unknown risks. Now to the question whether it's flexible enough. Um, it wasn't when we have the paper version, uh, because virtual, virtually what we did then is we took a picture of all the cards and the post-it notes and everything, which is terribly... Um, well, let's call it terrible, if you want to use that as a strategy or as a, a way of capturing data. 
I mean, it it looks nice, it's colorful and stuff, but you won't really get the the whole conversation out of that. Um, what we also did, apart from the picture, is um, writing down in one A4 or one page what the team commits to, what is important, what are the risks, what are we going to do, uh, how many people do we need to do that, how many, uh, how much time do we need to do that, what are the deliverables for it. Um, so that's another thing. But it's not terribly um, flexible. Now with the online version, I feel that um, you can just go back in, in time. You can go to phase two whenever you've done phase three already. Um, whether you do that in two months from now and change the whole uh, whole session, um, whether you just remove a quality aspect and add another one, it's perfectly possible. Um, if that suits to your needs within your product, go for it. Um, I want to have good ways of exporting this data so that in your project, um, if we are allowed to go back to work and, and sit together again, and when that's safe, um, people can just print out their exports, place them on the, the office fridge, let's say, and have a talk about them while they're enjoying coffee. Um, I think these things open up a lot of things. Um, maybe it's even possible to, um, to have those streams, what I talked about, so the quality aspect, risks, and the solutions. Having those uh, as separate text uh, messages into Slack so that people can have a conversation thread on it, uh, further creating an asynchronous communication um, channel. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of opportunities here. Um, and yes, there are ways of dealing with this in a flexible way and adding whenever we uncover an unknown risk and add them to the, to the strategy. Thank you for that, Sorry. Alex. Do you have follow-up? Yeah, so my, I guess my question was not necessarily specific to the product you presented, but more in general, uh, mm -hmm. a quality strategy. Uh, so what I'm taking from your response is that, yes, your, your quality strategy is dynamic um, throughout the, the life cycle of a product. Um, as new ideas, as new risk is uncovered, it would be added to the uh, strategy, uh, and then um, it would be dealt with it there and then. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I guess... Again, I don't want to take advantage of, of me speaking to ask another question, but I'm going to sneakily ask another one if I may. Um, all, these, all these conversations and all these meetings, they're definitely very valuable, but it looks like uh, they could be quite time-consuming as well. So, um, how how would you how would you deal with that in, in in the world where you know we need to ship everything fast and we have very tight deadlines? Uh, no, how would you pair that maybe with uh, with uh, you know, trying to um, find as many problems as many bugs as possible in the shortest amount of time and for the for the least amount of money? How would you try to merge your your meetings and your conversations about your strategy? Um, in such a way that it it it, it condenses uh, you know, the essence of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, that's, again, a very good question. Um, time is a very difficult thing these days um, because people don't like meetings that often. People think they are uh, often wasteful. They are um, dragging on too long. 
I try to really time box as well as possible. It needs to be very valuable. It can't be just two people throwing mud uh, because I don't have patience for that. Um, but probably time boxing is not the answer that you're looking for. Um, I think we really need to show the value of things that we put time in. And I, I feel, and but I'm biased, of course, that risk storming at the right moment in your product, that means uh, usually um, after you have a solution in mind, but before you start working on it, I think that's the perfect time to do risk storming um, and to really, really assess what the problems might be and if they are worth the trouble. Um, because it, it happens, of course, that um, you build your product, you invest a whole lot of money into building a product, um, and then it flops, as we saw in, in this very bad uh, demonstration, let's say, uh, or, or with not so good data, that your product just isn't good, um, or you made a technical failure of a decision. And I hope that showing this kind of value upfront before doing all that investment um, is something valuable and you can advocate about this to, to your team and people around your team. I would add that the fact that you're always focusing on the, the highest risk, you're limiting the time to, for, for the meetings and, and uh, you always have to focus on the, the most important uh, quality aspects, the most important uh, risks connected with the quality aspects and the most important techniques to address the risks, right? The, here is the way how you're getting the best return on investment, right? I, as I understand, uh, because I, I agree that uh, with all of these opportunities, you might turn, end up in, in a uh, limbo of endless meetings, um, especially with big group of stakeholders. And I have a question prepared for that, but uh, before I will jump into it, um, Alex, uh, any follow-up? I actually don't have a follow-up. Thank you both for responding. Okay. Uh, that's great. Thank you, Alex. And uh, then I would uh, like to take a liberty to ask questions from my magical Excel, which is actually a list of questions which you guys published when you were um, RSVPs to the meetup. And actually that question comes from Jorgen. And I really like that you asked it on the, um, previously on the, on the RSVP. And I think it also uh, goes in, into the, um, in line with the question from, uh, from Alex, um, that how does your approach differ on small teams versus large teams? Um, and especially I wonder, because in a small team, I can imagine that one workshop is enough. But if I work in a big company with many teams working on very complicated product, and I heard about projects where you have 200 people, 300 people working on uh, one product that is just very complex, very big, and so on. Uh, in products like that, you have many group of stakeholders in, uh, in, uh, different, um, in different parts of the organization. I could imagine that if you would like to have the overview of everything, you would have to gather like 50, 60 people 
on this workshop because there are so many quality aspects. How would you deal with that, uh, Baron? And do you even deal? Because maybe this tool is only till products like 50 people, no more. I uh, personally, in this kind of meetings where we do the workshop, I would not go over 12, let's say. I mean, it can go a bit higher, but usually uh, meetings with more than eight or 10 people are not super helpful unless they are just um, someone talking and other people listening, which are not the most ideal ways of communication. Um, I must also admit that I've not worked on a project where three to 400 people or even more than 100 people are working on a project uh, or one product. So I, I ha may have some ideas, but they are not tested and tried in, uh, in practice. So please um, share, we can even go outside <laughs> of the product you're showing here, but uh, how would you approach, just imagine that you have a project where you have like 200 people working on the project and if you want to gather the minimal group of stakeholders it's like 50 people right mm -hmm. it, it workshop wouldn't work right with with and but if you want to have an input from everybody um, on the quality strategy how would you develop a quality strategy for a product that is so complicated well usually there's um some kind of scaling thing in place whether that's uh, scaling agile or uh safe um, or Nexus or whatever you have there. I'm not a huge fan of those things, but sometimes they are ne uh, necessary. Um, and there's some kind of hierarchy built in, let's say. Um, I would then start at um, as high as possible, figuring out uh, how well they are knowledgeable of what's going on in the teams, uh, what the quality issues are, um, what the, the strategy is for the different levels. Just figuring out where, where they're coming from, what they value, maybe do a workshop with them, um, and then try to work my way down. Um, in other companies, you have a team of um, quality-specific people. Um, so they are doing the testing or the quality or whatever that company would call it. Uh, and those would probably be uh, very big allies to work with. Um, so they might have a structure in place on, on how to deal with the different teams. Um, but generally, I would start at the very top, if I'm allowed to, or as high as I can, let's say, um, to figure out what they value, what their current issues are, and how those um, compare on other levels. Okay, thank you. Uh, Jorgen, are modified, I have modified a little bit your question. Uh, do you have any uh, follow-up to, to your question from the Meetup page? I think uh, my mindset is that, that if you get down on the, on the team level, it's very concrete. And then the further you climb up, the more abstract it is. And, and if you get far enough up, then it's just hot air. So, so it's just how far up can you go with this approach before it just becomes, you know, a lot of probably somewhere in the middle um, because the hot air might not be grounded in actual problems but the problems on the very downward level um, might com be completely next to the question um, and they might not actually be about important things because they 
the distance is so far between the hot air and the, wherever they are working that they have no clue. So it's, it's probably somewhere in the middle. I don't know. I, I would have to find out. Um, I've seen some very dysfunctional projects where they hire me for one thing and I'm actually thinking, but that's not the problem. You're not hiring me to, to deal with the actual problem. The actual problem is somewhere completely different. Um, and, and you try to deal with that. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, Jorgen, is it okay? Can we jump to the next question? Yeah, fine with me, thanks. Great, uh, then I have a question from uh, Oscar, which is, as I can see on the list, unfortunately not with us, but I think it might be interesting and it, uh, we have to be, uh, we have to go, we, we're getting close to the end of the meetup. Mm, so uh, the, this will be probably one before the last question. Uh, which was, what are the main challenges in cooperation with the development team? And I wonder, how do you cooperate on the quality strategy with the development team? Uh, so, do you even do that? Uh, or And if so, how do you involve um, the dev developers team? Um, yeah, so I definitely want developers on the risk storming uh, workshop. They are an extremely interesting information uh, source to deal to know what what are the issues uh, structural issues uh, communication issues they will definitely let uh, let me know if there are any um, so development team absolutely be part of the conversation um, give as many ideas as possible and to be honest, for the cards, the ones I showed you are very tester specific. Um, the other cards are so. In my future uh, plans, we want to have an equal amount of cards or prompts or, or ideas for uh, analysis, development, testing, and operations. So four different activities for different roles often, um, but they are equal and they need to work together to make sure that the risks are mitigated, uh, ignored or accepted or um, dealt with in any way possible. And together they can achieve that. I will ask uh, one last traditional question for today, Baron. Mm, do you have any books which you would recommend to our uh, listeners? Uh, books that are about either testing or maybe building a quality strategy or just in general, a good book that you would recommend that can develop ourselves as a better specialists and experts. It's been a while since I've read a book on uh, software development, I must say. I've, uh, I've been trying to read... Uh, more fantasy novels these days, just to clear my head once in a while. Um, but a very good book that for me opened up a lot of things um, is The Goal, I believe, by um, Elijah Goldratt, I believe. Oh, I need to, oh, Rotfuss, I'm not sure. Let me see. Elijahu Goldratt. So the you can goal. post that on the chat. Right, so we can right. we can see that, and I will also add that book title to the description of the podcast. Uh, what is it about, and why would you like to recommend it? Uh, so it was written in, I believe, the seventies, um, and it's about 
how this one person gets called up during the night and something is going really bad with his plant. Um, I don't really remember what the plant was making. I'm not sure if it's um, a factory, right? Um, and the way he deals with all the problems and, and how to deal with bottlenecks and where to fix the problems and which problems look like problems but aren't and then how to it's 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 a very interesting book for me um but it's also um so it's it reads as a novel which makes it much more easier to digest than um, a very technical thing um and i'm not sure if you read the the phoenix project that is what the so this book the goal that's what the the phoenix project was based on or uh, was a big inspiration for it I heard about it. I heard about the Phoenix project. Haven't read it yet, and I heard also about the goal. I haven't read it yet, but after your recommendation, I will have a look. I will have have to have a look um, at it. Okay. Uh, thank you for that, Baron. Uh, thank you for today for uh, your awesome presentation of the why quality strategy is important, how to develop one using the risk storming, and um, your awesome advice about um, how to uh, approach that. Also, I would like to thank all of you guys that are here today for your questions, for your the discussions we had, for participation. If you want to support the meetup, please share the information about the meetup or join me on the Patreon. I would be really glad to have your support there because right now the whole project is uh, financed by me. Um, and uh, I uh, can give you a tip that we already have a speaker for September. I will not share the information between the beginning of September, but uh, for sure you will be, um, it's uh, somebody uh, that you, I think, will uh, like, right? So we have more ahead uh, of us for the next months. I hope that um, the uh, meet the midcast which I'm making is uh, meeting your expectations. Uh, any last words, Baron? Um, yeah, thank you everyone for participating, for asking me uh, interesting questions and challenging me. Um, if you want to get in contact, um, you can find me on Twitter, Slack, um, ilove.it. So, um, and also riskstormingonline.com. Um, just reach out, uh, schedule something on Calendly or something if you're interested. I'm very happy to talk more and, and explore more on how I can help you out. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, again, thank you guys and see you on the net, uh, next uh, Meetcast. Bye.